This is Iron Mike Stedman. And as always, I want to thank you for tuning into my show, The Legendary Dog Whistle Brandon. Today on DWB, I'm joined by Army veteran Neil Whitney, CEO of Plank, a tech company helping today's fitness brands turn their following into revenue with custom fitness and wellness apps. Prior to becoming CEO of Plank, Neil founded and exited Menu, which provided personalized and curated meal plans, allowing users to shop for a week's worth of groceries in less than 30 seconds. Neil is no stranger to consumer tech and his application in the health and wellness industry, a notoriously difficult space. On the show, we recap his journey, founding and exiting Menu into Plank, some of the pivots he made along the way, and how he would approach his journey if he had an opportunity to do it all over again. Before we jump into the show, be sure to subscribe to my newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, feel free to reach out to me at mike at weareironbound.com or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. Also, if you haven't done so already, check out my book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, Validate Your Business Model, Build Your Brand, and Step Into Greatness, available on Amazon at the link in the show notes as well. All right, enough of me talking. Gunny, get them ready. Yo, saddle up, lock and load. You're listening to Dog Whistle Branding, brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and Mission Plus, where together we're building the next generation of confident, resilient, and badass entrepreneurs and brands to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the godfather of Dog Whistle Branding and founder of Ironbound Media. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com to stay up to date on all things DWB. All right, get out your pen and paper and get ready to build a Dog Whistle brand. Neil, my man, welcome to Dog Whistle Branding. What's going on, brother? Another day, we're slogging through. We're, we got a lot of fun stuff in the pipe at Plank right now. And, you know, it's an interesting time in our business. We're doing a lot of stuff, you know, big strategic stuff, trying to figure out what's happening in the space overall. And, and you know, meanwhile, just still running through day to day. You know, Plank's a fun company and I'm happy to, you know, dive in a little bit of that and, you know, open the kimono so I can share the, the ups and the downs of, of operating the digital fitness space. I feel like you and I are kindred spirits because even before we hit record, we were talking about the day-to-day and you referred to it as blocking and tackling. That's exactly what I say, that blocking and tackling. And then also, me and Neil have been using LinkedIn like it's like AOL Instant Messenger from like back in the day. Just, you know, chatting it up, talking about some things, fitness, laying off alcohol and a lot of good stuff. But I think it is interesting how we kind of built this like online community where even though we might not get hang out in person all the time, you still feel like there's people you can chop it up with and uh, share lessons learned, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree, Mike. And I think, you know, part of that is us, you know, coming from similar backgrounds, both military backgrounds. I think that, you know, it's important for us to be able to feel like we can reach out just to, you know, commiserate, talk about highs and lows. And then of course, like find breakthrough in business, but, but, you know, always grateful for you just like, you know, popping up, saying hi, and, and just letting me know that you're there because, I mean, I feel like so much of it is just that it's like, you know, entrepreneurship is lonely. It is very lonely. And just to be able to like have moments where you, you know, share friendship with other people who are going through something similar and especially people who come from similar backgrounds, 
it's pretty cool. Yeah, I want to say that. All you vets listening, stop hitting up other people and just spamming them, right? People are in the trenches, man. I hit up somebody the other day, and I was just like, my man, what's going on? He literally said, Mike, you have no idea how much I appreciate you reaching out. He's like, I've been going through it lately. And just kind of reaching out to just say, hey, man, you good? Just kind of checking in on you. That stuff goes a long way. And so, you know, one of my core values at Ironbound is that business relationships don't have to be purely transactional. I think a lot of times when people start to network, you know, it just gets, and you can talk about this too, Neil, because you've been around for a while. Everything just seems so spammy. You know, yeah. it's like, damn, what angle are people coming in from? Even yeah. tech people now, they act like MLM, you know, where they'll sell their mama, their family, anyone. And it's just like, is this what we're, I don't think that's why we start these businesses. Like you said, it's more about serving leadership and leveraging the skills, what we learned in the military and bringing it to this new space. Yeah. Well, you know, Mike, I think I think you're saying that that so much of networking is spammy. I mean, you know, I got some pretty strong opinions on on what I think is, you know, making entrepreneurship increasingly harder is 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 really just AI business development. You know, AI business development, it's obviously everywhere right now. And there are so many companies that are saying, we'll get you this many leads, we'll get you that many leads. In my opinion, it's the downfall of business development. It could be the downfall of networking, you know? Yeah. Like, it was hard enough before when you didn't have that network, especially for guys like you and me who come out of the military, who didn't have that collegiate network or didn't have that, you know, consulting network that so many folks have when they start their companies. You know, it was hard enough for us to create a network of other entrepreneurs, investors, stakeholders in the community, power brokers. You know, and and that was that was tough. And now I can't even imagine what it's like for somebody who's wanting to start a company now when you have all this spam. And look, there are some people out there that are standing up these AI business development businesses. And I think they're the shit of the universe right now, man. I mean, I think that if they're if you're like, oh, I'll get you this many leads a day, in my opinion, like that is the worst of all people in professional industry these days, because you know what, man? They're make they have overly commoditized networking, which is an area of like super coveted relationship building, you know, very, very important about how carefully people need to, you know, like develop relationships, nurture relationships, call upon those relationships. And now it's not even that it's being outsourced to, you know, to Asia to be able to like manage some BD type of stuff and some quote unquote networking stuff. But man, like this stuff that's happening with like AIBD, I think it's the worst thing that's happening in our industry. And, uh, you know, and I say industry, meaning like entrepreneurship in general, you know, I'm happy to talk more about that. But like, you know, if you, if anybody's listening that runs a BD AI company, then, you know, I think you're a piece of, well, whatever, you know, <laughs> I, I think, I think you're building the wrong thing. You're hurting everybody around you. You know, you might be yeah. making a couple bucks, but, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, really discourage those types of, of things. I love AI. I am all in on AI. Just don't use AI to replace relationship development because that's, yeah. you know, that's a false flag. You're the first person I've heard expressing in this way, but you're absolutely right. I think it's the way we're teaching business development. And like you said, the way we're teaching marketing now that, you know, growth hacking, growth hacking destroys categories. This way people are doing it is destroying entrepreneurship. Yeah. You know, I hit up a buddy of mine yesterday, he's academy grad, and I saw that he had his open for work uh, thing up. And I said, hey, hit up so-and-so. 
right? And he's like, oh, Mike, thanks. I'm happy to do it. Is this just general networking? I said, no, fool. I know this guy. I have a strong relationship with him. Like, yeah. I am vouching for you. You know, yeah. that's not random networking. It's more of like, and I was just, it was just so quick that I had sent it to him. But we've got to distinguish between randomized networking and, and like, hey, like, if I have you connect with Neil, like there was an entrepreneur I was working with who's doing something in the fitness space. I'm like, hey, you should talk to Neil Whitney. That's not yeah. a random person I'm saying networking with. It's like, this is somebody I talk to on a frequent. I know he's got deep expertise and knowledge in the space. I feel like he can guide you in the right direction. But people do not know how to drive growth. I think they're just mimicking what other people are doing and they're doing it to the extent that it's going to destroy the, this, cat, this category of entrepreneurship. I totally agree with you, Mike. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, really disenchanted with the way that AI is being, you know, kind of weaponized to, you know, to develop some form of connection. The amount of spam that we all get every single day, the hardest part is like, you know, to your point on like, when you reached out to somebody and said, hey, you should connect with so-and-so, you know, I mean, the amount of spam that I get in, a, in any given day, it's, you know, it's, it's in the dozens of spam messages across different platforms. And so, you know, at this point, I have to ignore it all. And, and that's terrible because here I am writing authentic messages, you know, trying to develop authentic value proposition that I want to be able to communicate with other people. And whether that's like, you know, a quick, hey, Mike, you should talk to somebody because, you know, or if it's something like I'm trying to develop business with somebody else and, you know, who's in my industry, you know, I've taken the time to try to think through like, you know, why this makes sense. And meanwhile, some other jerks just, you know, sending some bot out there and that AI bot's just like, you know, blowing through, sending a thousand messages a day. And, you know, it's, you know, it, it's going to, it's, it's creating some serious problems and, you know, we got to figure out how to address those. Well, these are the problems that our listeners are facing today as they attempt to get their, you know, businesses out of this noisy market past the AI and drive the value that they started for. And so, you know, what I'm excited about having you on the platform for is a couple of reasons. You've built successful businesses in very hard categories. I was in the category, I'm still am in the category of fitness. Um, and then you start talking about food, extremely challenging. And you've done it from for quite a while. So you've seen the kind of ebbs and flows. You bring a lot of insight. So let's go back and just first have you introduce yeah. yourself to our listeners and your background. And then we can start talking about first menu. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm a consumer tech fanatic, like, and you know, these days less emphasis on the tech part. I just love solving consumer problems. And part of this, you know, comes from just my time at Apple and just seeing like the impact that Apple has on consumers in general and kind of how they approach problem solving with it. So, you know, so that's me in a nutshell, 40 years old, have a family, two kids, an amazing wife, incredibly supportive household, live in Nashville, Tennessee, but, you know, moved from San Francisco to Nashville. It was a great decision. We moved before it was cool to leave California. Still love California. Love so many parts about California, but we had to we, we made a tough decision in 2017 to leave California for Nashville. Um, glad we did. We were able to get to Nashville before, you know, it just went off the rails with real estate prices and everything else. So we got in at a good time. But uh, yeah, you know, I launched a company, Menued, and we were in the business of, of, of helping people meal plan. And why are we doing that? 
Well, we saw a couple of like things happening in the market at that point, right? Like you saw these meal kits and these meal kits were kind of everywhere. Blue Apron and Plated and HelloFresh and all these other meal kits that were doing this kind of like meals delivered to your house. And we saw that consumers were looking for a simplification of trying to decide what they're going to have for dinner. You know, what we did is we said, look, we don't think it actually has to be in a box that arrives to your house. We think that you can simplify the what am I going to have for dinner experience by creating a better way to do meal planning. And specifically, we worked with fitness influencers and we said, hey, you know, why don't you build a meal plan? And we'll be able to create a mechanism to share that meal plan with, you know, thousands and thousands of people and, and do it in the fastest way possible. You know, we wanted to coin the term and we did. We wanted to help you shop for a week's worth of groceries in 30 seconds. And, you know, and we were able to pull that off. It was super fun. It was awesome. We scaled that platform and, and you know, we had a bunch and bunch and bunch of people on the platform. And at that point, Plank had reached out to me and said, hey, you know, you guys are doing some cool stuff in meal planning. Can we integrate your technology into what we're doing? They were building fitness apps in collaboration with athletes, celebrities, influencers, Sure. So we began integrating our technology. And then eventually it came down to, hey, you know, would you guys be open to an MA? We said, I don't see why not. You know, like I'm I'm an entrepreneur. I'm I'm open to anything. And so we ended up doing an MA with Plank. And and you know, that was a great decision. We not only have we been working together for about a year and a half just on platform integration, technology integration, team integration, it made the merge process really simple to, you know, be able to combine everybody. Really happy to say that, you know, leading a merger and on the backside of the merger, we laid off zero people. That's, you know, for anybody who's been through any type of a merger and acquisition, you know that almost always, you know, after the merge is the purge. And and we were able to, you know, overcome that. We didn't have to lay anybody off and continue to drive on. And um several months later I I, I took over Plank as CEO and and, you know, and that's kind of where I am now. But, you know, I'll take a quick pause there, Mike, and, you know, talk about the food space and talk about the, you know, all that, or we can just lean straight into Plank and what we're doing in the fitness category. I actually want to go back. I'm curious to know about your kind of entrepreneurial education, because one of the things I say repeatedly, it's all hard, right? Yep. But there are certain markets, certain categories, notoriously freaking hard. Food and fitness, you know. There's a lot of crushed dreams and buried businesses yeah. in that category. And so did you, were you aware of how challenging it would be when you first launched or were, you know, I'm just, just take me back to how you chose that specific niche. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, when we, when we started working on a meal planning concept, there was you know, more than sufficient data to suggest that consumers were, again, looking for an easier way to be able to decide what they were going to have for dinner. And I can talk about like what was happening, you know, socioeconomically at the time, what was happening with, you know, millennials and what was happening with like eating trends. But I think that, you know, all of that wraps back to the fact that we had a lot of confidence in, in our user journey. And we had confidence in our user journey because we had just really looked hard at the space. It wasn't just that it was like, oh, I think there's a little thing here that can snowball into something bigger. It's that, you know, we saw in 2016, 2017, that millennials were suburbanizing. They were moving from, you know, urban areas into suburbs because, you know, millennials were getting older and they were thinking about 
you know, what future means. And so that's all like kind of a rejuvenation in the grocery space. Prior to this, millennials were eating out all the time, all the time, more than ever in the history of the world. Millennials were spending more money at restaurants and than they had ever, than any generation has ever spent in restaurants. And, you know, so we had to look at sort of the data there to say, look, you know, they're, they were eating in restaurants. Now they're suburbanizing and, you know, and millennials are starting to cook. And this cooking trend just took off like a wildfire. And, and, you know, and with that was the birth of, you know, lots of different cooking influencers and healthy cooking influencers and, you know, fitness influencers that were getting more into the fitness space. So getting back to like, you know, why did we approach it? Well, you know, we saw opportunity and opportunity that was substantiated by massive macroeconomic trends, like migrational trends that were happening and, and, you know, and the way that people were just living their lives. How did you get your first hundred customers? Influencer marketing, you know, our platform allowed us this really cool thing where this is back in the days where you'd actually swipe up on, on an Instagram post or Instagram story, but we created a way that you would that an influencer would say, Hey, this is my meal plan of the week. And you'd swipe up on that story and it would drive you straight into the app where you would have that meal plan of the week. And that was great because, you know, there was, there were several different meal planning apps out there at the time. And we just created the way to take you straight from Instagram, right into a cohesive meal plan that built a grocery list and allowed for you to tap a button and have those groceries delivered to your house. So, you know, it was pretty early on on like activations that were happening from influencer marketing and just a really, really seamless way for the consumer to be like, look, I trust this person. I, I don't want I don't want to have to plan dinner. This person's already done it for me. I trust this person. And then we just created the mechanism to drive you straight from Instagram into the meal plan of the week. And hearing you talk, right, I'm thinking back to like that 2015, 2016 area influencer marketing was kind of taking off, right? It was like hitting right. that kind of hockey stick area, right? This is pre-Fire Festival. Yeah. Um, and for those that aren't familiar with Fire, like it was just a different world back then, right? But now it's like, so you guys were able to basically ride that wave, essentially. Yeah. There was a yeah. lot of positive things in that space. I can see that too. And then who are your competitors at the time? Uh, you had Plated was coming out. Has it HelloFresh? Had that started yet? Yeah. Yeah. And all of them, you know, I kind of look at them as just like other people in the industry because they, they obviously were running online, you know, online businesses, but more kind of like e-commerce in, in essence, where like you would just pick the box of food that you were going to have delivered to your house. And, and we went in a different direction. We said, look, we don't think that we need to have warehouses of tomatoes and onions and, you know, freezers full of protein. We think that grocery stores are doing a more sufficient job of figuring out how to get, you know, produce and meats and everything to, to, you know, local markets. So, you know, meal kits are, you know, these boxes of stuff that ship to your house with this opportunity to like cook a meal based on recipe cards that are included inside of this, you know, prepackaged thing. We did something different. We're like, we're going to let the grocery store do the logistics because Smart. they've been doing it for, you know, a hundred years. And so for us, it was more about what's the digital experience of deciding what am I going to have? So that's kind of a content related problem to solve. 
right? And then for us, what you would do is you would just like get that meal plan of the week. You could do a level of customization and then you just send it over to Kroger or Albertsons or Whole Foods or Safeway or HEB or Walmart or whoever it was, all the companies we were working with. We were connected to 1,700 different grocery stores around the country. And, and then they would do the order fulfillment and, you know, and then either have it ready for pickup, which a lot of consumers don't have a problem just swinging by the grocery store. Or, you know, deliver to your house if somebody wanted to pay that extra fee. So like early days, basically what Amazon does now at Whole Foods, right? You can go on a little app, order your stuff, go in there, pick it up and grab it. But you all were just way, way ahead of the curve. That's right. That's right. And, you know, and we kind of saw, you know, a problem that groups like Instacart were facing, which is like, even though you can use an app to shop for groceries, it doesn't make it all that much more convenient, you know, because... Like it really dawned on me one time when I was just like on vacation with my wife and, and, and my daughter, and you know, we had checked into some Airbnb and it was far enough away from a grocery store that I was like, I'm just going to order groceries in and ask my wife what she wants. She's like, I, we make some, some salsa, some pico de gallo. And I was like, yeah, sure. And Mike, the process to like put the ingredients for pico de gallo in my cart, like, oh, I got to search for tomatoes. What type of tomatoes? I don't know. I got to search for onions. What type of onions? I got to search for blah, 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 blah. You know, I remember it taking me like five minutes to like put all the items for Pico de Gallo in my shopping cart. And I was like, I could have just, it's, it's faster for me to walk through the aisle, you know? Yeah. And that's when we were like, why can't I just add Pico de Gallo, the recipe to my shopping cart, right? Like, why can't I just shop based on recipes? And then we took it a step further and be like, but it's not just a recipe. It's like a whole meal. And then we're like, well, it's actually more than that. It's like a whole week's worth of meals. And what's the fastest way that you could just, you know, get right through that to be like, this is what I'm going to eat for the whole week. And it's categorized. It's all here and it's delivered and it's great. But yeah, that's, you know, that was kind of like, that was, that was what, you know, I was the most passionate about is again, trying to think through that consumer experience of like, you know, online grocery is real meal kits are satisfying this kind of like, I, I just want it to be simpler. Online grocery was trying to take off. And of course, all this is pre pandemic, but like online grocery was trying to take off, but somewhere in the middle, the consumer was like, meal kits aren't quite right for me because you know, they're expensive or I've been dissatisfied in the past with them. And online grocery was cumbersome. And right there in the middle, we said, we think that we can solve this with a digital content experience that just integrates with the grocery store. And, you know, and that's what we did. And, and it was awesome. Now, did you ever achieve hockey stick growth with Binyud? You know, I think that we were about there. It's, it's, we did, I mean, we did insofar as like, we saw our first 100,000 people on the platform pretty quick, you know? And, and I think that like, if we would have held course and, and like if we wouldn't have, you know, entertained this concept of like, let's apply our technology strictly to the fitness space. I think that we would have. And that's because the pandemic was, you know, a massive behavioral change for most people around the world. You know, we, at that point, we had actually pulled back and this is just, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Like we had pulled back on doing a lot of the grocery integration, working on, you know, kind of like every person out there to be able to shop for groceries easier and dedicate ourselves strictly to the fitness category. You know, if we would have 
stayed just with grocery and, you know, approached the pandemic with, you know, everything kind of locked and loaded and ready to go. But, you know, of course, we had no idea what was going to happen. And and we had to think about other things, right? The grocery industry moves extremely slowly. And, you know, and and it's excruciating for a startup to try to work with these massive legacy companies that, you know, are not on cutting edge of innovation. You know, right. I mean, they they are they are severe laggards. And, you know, and so we had to, you know, kind of look at it and be like, look, we're, you know, we're seeing a lot of adoption of our technology. This is great in terms of like, how are we going to start, you know, trying to convince grocery stores that like, this is the future. You know, it would have taken an event like the pandemic to make that happen. And, and at that point we had already, you know, kind of, we're going here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's just like the nature of, of like, you know, making hard calls and not knowing what the future holds and, and, you know, kind of getting back to like entrepreneurship in general, it's like, man, I mean, a a good friend of mine said, don't build a business that satisfies for an enterprise solution for big companies, because those companies will move so slow that you're, that, you know, they're, it's, it's too hard to try to create that breakthrough to, you know, convince some 70 year old executive that, you know, this is the future when, you know, they're looking at their P&L saying our future is just fine where it is right now. Yeah. And the reason I asked that question is because, you know, I think there is this misunderstanding of how hard it is to really achieve that exponential growth. You know, these are all the stories people talk about online. You check out the shark tanks of the world and the magazines. But man, the fucking day to day of blocking and tackling to just yeah. build a profitable business right. instead of like 100x or whatever business, it's really freaking hard. And a lot of people don't pull it off. So I appreciate you kind of sharing that insight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think entrepreneurship is, is let's say I came from the grocery space. Let's say I worked for, you know, Kroger and, and I had seen a gap in something that they have. And I said, look, I'm going to split off and start my own company to solve this gap. I think that type of inside knowledge is, you know, can really accelerate somebody into, you know, into like solving problems because they've been living with and dealing with those problems for a long time. But, you know, other people that are approaching the space to try to look at it at a big macro level, it's a lot different. You know, it's a lot different because like, you know, you don't necessarily have that inside knowledge. You have the pulse on consumerism, but you might not have the pulse on that one small thing that's like really keeping, you know, Kroger or Safeway or Albertsons or whatever it is awake at night. And, you know, and the problem is if you want to do business with these massive companies, then you need to be able to like solve an acute problem and then land and expand. But, you know, you probably don't have really good understanding of what that acute problem is because you haven't worked in that company. So you're trying to solve a massive problem that you eventually have to fit inside of like some, you know, non-innovators work streams. And that's really, really hard to like, you know, flag down the that person to try to convince them that you're solving this big thing when they're only concerned about this little thing. You know, it's a problem in general with corporate innovation. And, you know, and, and why these big corporates end up hiring these expensive consultants to solve these macro problems for them. And meanwhile, you have an army of, 
of you know entrepreneurs that are solving really cool and innovative things and you know but along the way like you know i think it's the hardest part about the startup is like is trying to get your message across you know and meanwhile continuing to wrestle with like look they're not listening is it a problem with my business do i lack product market fit you know is there am i not solving the right thing or am i just having a real hard time trying to get breakthrough I was going to do this as a solo episode, but I'm going to ask you because you're on that topic. How do you get people's attention with your startup? The way that I've actually found it recently is like, you got to just find the person that already has the attention and you got to bring them in. You got to figure out how to bring that person in. And, you know, I'm tired of screaming from the mountaintops. You know, I recently on LinkedIn, I talked about, you know, why I think it was so stupid for Lululemon to buy Mirror and why that was a big mistake. And you know, and and then, you know, the second wave of that is like now that Lululemon bought Mirror and they were trying to divest it for, as I understand, like almost 95% loss, right? Lululemon bought Mirror for $500 million, right? And as I understand it, they were trying to sell it for like 65 million bucks, right? Huge loss on that, huge loss. And recently we've learned that, that Lululemon and Peloton partnered and, you know, and it looks like Peloton just kind of like, I don't know what they paid to get access to the Lululemon customer list from that, you know, Lululemon studio or mirror concept or whatever it was, but it was probably like, you know, fractions of pennies on the dollar. So, you know, I mean, look, like I've, I've been screaming from the mountaintops about what do I think needs to happen in the fitness space? And what do I think needs to happen with like these big brands, you know, that these big and small brands that are trying to cultivate communities and trying to, to drive first party data to be able to provide their customers with like, in general, just better experiences. And there's no amount of like screaming from the mountaintops that actually works. You know, at some point, you just got to go find the person who doesn't need to scream. He can whisper uh, or she can whisper. And, you know, and finding her or him that's just able to like, you know, whisper to the right people is, you know, it's what it all is. So getting back to like relationships and, you know, how to do this, it's, you know, it's, it's been, it's been a very unsatisfying experience, you know, trying to flag down people to, you know, to be able to express like, look, we, this is what we're seeing. And the, even the more unsatisfying experience is then watching other companies do it and be like, look what they're doing over here. That's what we've been talking about for a while. Will you fucking listen to me now? And they're like, sorry, we already moved on. You know, like we're, we're, you know, it's too late. We should have listened to you sooner. It's like, no, I know. But not only that, but also like even in fitness, right? It kind of changes, right? So I came in, I was big into CrossFit for the longest time. I still got a CrossFit gym membership, but I'm not going to lie. The energy of CrossFit now versus what it was in 2012, 2013, it's like night and day, yeah. right? It's like, you know, people are aware of it, but it doesn't feel like it has that same kind of, right it was really on that i feel like back then right it was on that hockey stick kind of growth and you mean like crossfit in general or just like yeah just like the crossfit gym the barbell training you know the seminars yeah. right i was going to seminars like that was my yeah. jam you know man i think the crossfit like <laughs> i mean you know watching some of the moves that people do in cross i don't do crossfit you know i, I did it a little bit in the army but like you know, and there was a time in my life, in my mid twenties, when I loved CrossFit. But like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I ride motorcycles, right? And and 
you always kind of say like, you never met somebody who rides motorcycles. that hasn't been an accident, you know? Yeah. I think it's the same thing to say about CrossFit. Like I've never met somebody in CrossFit that hadn't like, you know, seriously hurt their joints, you know, <laughs> and yeah. like thrown out their back or something like that. I think the CrossFit was just ticking time bomb, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I get that it's still popular for a lot of people. And, you know, it's still, it's like, you know, it's, it's a really like, it's a community driven way to, you know, to like find your squad and do your workouts and all that. And, and, you know, part of it still really cool, but like, you know, form and technique is, is super important. I think that there's been enough people who've been injured doing CrossFit that like, yeah. you know, kind of like it puts a sore, it, it, it's now stigmatized as, you know, like, like enjoy, but, you know, be prepared to, you know, lay up in bed with your nursing a herniated disc for a while. I'm actually going to try to get the CEO on the podcast. He was on already, but he wasn't the CEO of CrossFit at the time. A guy named Don Fall, Naval Academy grad, Marine officer. But the reason I brought it up is it kind of goes back to what you said of like, because I came up with barbells and bumper plates, that was the way I trained, right? Yeah. That's my dog whistle. You know, I'm part of a barbell club in New York. I'm part of my CrossFit right. gym here. But trying to sell that to people that haven't done it before, hell no. to the no. I know. You know, totally that's that man. shouting from the rooftop. They're like, I can't get, you know, my girlfriend to save her life to come train with me over there. Because, again, right. that's just not where she's at. But somebody like me who's been training this way a while, already sold on it. All I got to do is walk around, look at the gym. I'm like, yeah, this works. And that goes yeah. back to what you're saying about, like, finding the consumers out there that are already sold on the category. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it, Mike. I mean. You know, CrossFit's a phenomenal workout, and and any type of like hit training is great. And you know, I'm real, real, real big into strength training. You know, like it's it's great for your testosterone or your estrogen. You know, like strength training is really, really, really good for you. And you know, more people need to lift weights. You know, more people need to push themselves, whatever they're doing, to like try to build more strength. And CrossFit does a great job of doing that. You know, and you know, and but you know, proceed with caution because you're doing some maneuvers and that are like not easy on your body. And in part, that's great. You know, stress your body and it's going to grow. The other part to it's really dangerous, which is the person who's uninitiated, you know, or the person who is taking those movements for granted, like they're going to get hurt. And, you know, and I think that's why, like, again, enough people got hurt that started to kind of like fizzle out the, the sexiness of CrossFit. And it's great to try to encourage somebody to come in, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's super intimidating and it's intimidating because one, it's a different type of workout experience. It's like none other, you know, and it's intimidating too, because people know that other people, it's not hard to find somebody who's been hurt doing CrossFit. Yeah. Now you got people getting hurt doing Peloton, doing yeah. all kind of stuff. That's what yeah. I'm saying. That wave though. It comes like this is a hot new thing, but that yeah. sustainability is a beast. And so even with you, you know, doing the MMA with Plank, right? What's keeping you up? What's keeping you up at night now currently with yeah. that business? Yeah. So what keeps me up currently is, is competition in the space, you know, and this is an area that I'm like, that I, I got a lot of, a lot of thoughts on. Right. When when Plank started doing what they were doing in 2017, this before I was with Plank, but they were kind of pioneering the space, you know, like Plank builds apps in collaboration with athletes, celebrities, and influencers. You know, like a good example is 
we very recently began partnering with, you know, somebody who I think is is one of the most iconic figures in the in the training space. And, and his name is Gunnar Peterson. And Gunnar is an LA based trainer. He's trained the Kardashians and Sly Stallone. And, you know, when The Rock comes in town, The Rock is like, hey, Gunnar, let me let me train at your gym, you know, and and like Gunnar's amazing. He's, you know, he's Duke educated, right? He went to Duke, studied, I believe, exercise science at Duke, which is just, you know, phenomenal in of itself. And he knows how the body works so well. But, you know, Gunnar is, is again, probably the most prolific trainer in the space. You know, been doing it for, for a couple decades. And, you know, and Gunnar, when we began talking to Gunnar and, and his team, it, it was like, look, we want to launch our own app. We don't want to, we don't want to like, join a platform or something like that. We want to launch our own app. And I was like, we'd love to do it with you, Gunner. And that's what Plank does, right? So we work with celebrities, athletes, we work with celebrity trainers or or creators that that have just had these massive followings of adoring communities. And, and it's time for them to, to launch their app and grow their digital fitness business. Um, and again, 2017, Plank pioneered the space. Now I can count 22 companies that do the same thing. So what does that mean? You know, like, is competition good or is competition bad? Like, I think it all kind of depends on what industry you're in. Like, competition for AI is wonderful because we're pushing the envelope on what can happen with AI. But competition in low-code industries, right? Like, I consider playing to be low-code. We do a lot, like, we've built our own platform. We have our proprietary technology that powers each one of the apps that we that we launch. We're always building new features into the apps that we launch and, and all this, like, really cool stuff. But in the end, like, Mike, you'll appreciate this. One of my favorite army instructors is, you know, one of my airborne instructors. He said, this isn't rocket surgery, Alpha. And I said, all right, I'm <laughs> going to use that for the rest of my life. Rocket surgery. Yeah. Got it. So, you know, what we're, we're not doing, we're not doing something. We're not, this isn't rocket surgery. We're, you know, we're, we're launching beautiful apps in collaboration with amazing people. And now there's a lot of people that are doing this. Why? Because there's money there, right? You make money in this space. You launch an app, you know, you put it out to somebody's community, you get thousands of people subscribed to that app, you make money there, you know? And and that, you know, but the barrier to entry is not too high. So what does that mean, Mike? That means that like competition is everywhere and and it is and and it's tough. So, you know, so what do I think needs to happen? I believe that any industry where you have a lot of competition and you have a low barrier to entry, you got to start thinking about consolidation. And I am, you know, I'm an army guy. I, I want to lead everything I do with an olive branch. And I want to be going out to these CEOs and saying, like, I think what you're doing is great. I hope you think what we're doing is great. Do you think that one plus one equals three? And if so... Let's have a conversation. You know, this is it's time to it's time for the tech community, especially like the low and mid code tech community, not the high code, not people that are like trying to figure out how to land on Mars. We need a lot of competition to make sure that like, you know, we are we are creating an environment of like the best of the best is going to break through with that amazing next generation technology. But when it comes to like low code and mid code tech. I think that founders need to stop saying like, oh, that's our competitor. And they need to start looking at it and be like, that's our competitor. But how do I make them my collaborator? 
otherwise, like we know what's happened with valuations. We know what's happened with venture capital dollars. Like it's drying up, baby. It is, <laughs> it is gone. And, you know, and so, you know, so we're we just going to compete with each other and then race everyone to the bottom, not just with the fitness space, but in general, are we prepared to race each other to the bottom or are we prepared to develop a monopoly? And, you know, I'm in the business of winning, you know, I'm in the business of like swinging for the fences and, and, and trying to create impact. I'm also in the business of like extreme collaboration, right? Because yeah. we're not going to get there on our own. We need great minds thinking about hard problems. So what keeps me awake? It's who's that next person we're going to collaborate with? Who's that next person that thinks that like, you know, the industry's right for consolidation. And if they believe it's right, then, you know, then let's have that conversation. You're not wrong. And this is why I'll tell you, I, whether it's low code, whether it's apparel, whether it's some of these other industries, because I had, I have a, I met with a CEO one of the most largest and successful fitness companies, sports entertainment industry, you want to call it. And I asked him, how is he thinking about growth? And he said, acquisition. Yeah. You know, that's his strategy, you know, because there's just so many movers in the space, you know, at a certain point, it's like, you can only grow. You can't get that next level of growth, just kind of doing what you're doing. And he thinks that consolidating the space is one of the ways to do it. Well, Mike, put me in touch with that dude, you know, cause, <laughs> cause I'm, I'm on that mission. I'm on that mission. You know, it's, it's growth through acquisition and, and, you know, and I, I believe that the best way to have growth through acquisition is to do it ego less as possible. And that's hard, right? It's hard when you're yeah. like, I want to lead, I want to lead a, an acquisition spree. And, you know, one of the things that, that I'd say is like, yeah, I mean, I think that the industry does need to consolidate. Does it need to consolidate into plank? Fuck no. It needs to consolidate into the best technology. Does it need to consolidate under my leadership? Absolutely not. I still don't know what I'm doing every day. You know, it needs to consolidate under the best leadership. It needs to consolidate under the best governance. And I think that that's where, you know, that's where consolidation happens. It doesn't happen because, you know, one person, and again, it can be in any industry. It doesn't happen because one person is a necessary market leader. They just may have had, you know, great growth marketing. And by the way, their growth marketing might be happening at a shit margin. So who's to determine who's good and who's bad? You know, it needs to happen with like systematic clairvoyance to say, we believe in a mission. Let's figure out how, you know, we can stop this confederacy of a lot of different people. They're doing all this garbage stuff, you know, on the periphery. And, you know, and let's, you know, let's figure out how to do this together. And, and through that, like, let leadership shine through, let great technology shine through, let great systems and processes shine through, let learnings happen about, you know, like, let analysis speak for itself. And, and, you know, and through that, we'll find amazing, you know, we're going to find that, you know, one plus one, in fact, does equal three, when you start getting these great companies that are now working together to, you know, to solve the same problem that they've been trying to solve independently. Knowing what you know now, if you were to go back to the start of your journey, whether with Minute or Plank, how would you approach that go to market? And the reason I ask this mm -hmm. is because you have a lot of listeners right now that are either just starting out or they're still, they're facing their own kind of growth challenges currently. Yeah. How would I have approached go to market differently? 
Yeah, I got a really, really easy thing to, to say there. How do you acquire the most customers possible with the least code possible? Right? Like, you know, we talk a lot about like, you got to get an MVP out, right? A minimum viable product. A good friend of mine here in Nashville doesn't like the term minimum viable product because viability is unfortunately not the barrier to entry for most consumers. It's your most lovable product, right? your MLP, your most, your minimum lovable product, right? So how do you create a minimum lovable product? And, and, you know, and how do you do that with as little engineering as you can, right? There's a lot of ways to be able to test the market. And I'm not talking about like old school tests of like, you know, go scraping and, you know, running a false flag and trying to like grow your Instagram and all this other bullshit ways to like, you know, suggest that you have market demand. I mean, like, what can you be doing on Shopify right now to prove your thesis, right? How do you, how do you collect money from your end users by using off the shelf technology, right? Like, and I mean, every day I'm blown away by Shopify and all the amazing things you can do on it. And that's just one of many platforms where you can stand up micro businesses and also manage massive businesses at the same time. But, you know, like, what can you do to test your minimum lovable product and, you know, and do that with as little code as you possibly can, you know, like, so my advice is simple, like, you know, get as many people on your platform as you can by spending you know, as little time actually like developing your proprietary product, it'll come. Don't put down your dream. Don't like forego your vision in terms of like simplicity, because that's not what your vision is. Like instead focus on like, how can I do this using off the shelf things that are at my disposal? Make, doesn't have to be scalable. doesn't need to be scalable at all. It just needs to be something that you can prove that people are prepared to pay you for it. And they're willing to pay you for it more than once. And if you can do that, like, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I'm always trying to think about like, what could we have done different? It's like, we could have used a lot. We could have done more research in things that can help us get off the ground now, instead of, you know, try to think about the complexity of, you know, building it ourselves. I try to tell people, man, that feedback loop, you don't know what you don't know. And it sounds to me like you're saying, I probably shouldn't spend $250,000 building a product that nobody wants. I need to get yep. out there in the market, get punched in the face a little bit, get as many customers as humanly possible, just a good old fashioned, you know, figuring it out. You're like staying lean and then go from there. Yeah. That's, that's exactly how I feel, man. And, and, you know, and for better or worse, there's been a bunch of companies that have created a lot of software over the last 20 years. And probably there are more solutions at your fingertips than you know about. And I realize it's the inclination to build, not buy. But man, buying is so much cheaper to prove out your, your initial thesis. Build later, you know, again, yeah. don't put it down. Just make sure that like, you know, your feedback loop is there. Well, Neil, before we wrap up, I want to ask you one more question. You got veteran entrepreneurs, military spouses, tuning in from all over the country, all over the world. You've made time for us sharing your knowledge and insight. As a community, 
How can we help you and what you're doing with Plank and also what you're doing within your personal life? Yeah. So military community, we need to figure out a way that we can have conversation and cohorts. What I mean by that is like, you know, where is the group of military members that are all working in the fitness space? Where is the group of military members that are all working in the marketing space? You know, I want, I want for there to be a more systematic way for us to feel like we can connect. I don't want it to be salesy. I don't want it to be like, you know, I hope that I don't get spammed by a bunch of folks saying like, oh, we can help you with growth marketing efforts. Like, it's not that. It's more about like, what can we do to create, you know, tighter circles of people who are solving similar types of problems and be able to have that networking experience, you know? And I realize there's organizations that have tried to do this. I mean, you know, Mike, you and I know of some organizations that we've both worked in that, you know, that tried to do this, but I want to actually see like fundamentally, you know, where, where do we hang out? You know, do we need to create Slack channels? Do we need to create discord channels? Like where is it that we need to start communicating? Because at the end of this, I would love to be able to, you know, talk to 20 other CEOs or, you know, innovators in the digital fitness space that we can just talk about, you know, what's happening in our industry and what are we going to do to solve problems? So yeah, reach out, you know, and, and beyond digital fitness, like create those cohorts, you know, I mean, Mike, you know, I'm, I'm involved in a cannabis company and, you know, I'm new to cannabis. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm new to cannabis companies. <laughs> I don't know how to yeah. do some of this stuff here. And, you know, I don't know the guardrails. So, you know, who can, who can we be learning from? Who can we be talking to about things in the cannabis space? And, you know, and so we just need to establish cohorts in the military community. You know, we need, we need squads and each one of those squads needs to, you know, needs to help each other. Yeah. You're hundred percent right about it. And people got to be able to be real though. So I have found that not in the military community, but, you know, like you say, a lot of these orgs, they're a great place to start out in. But to get that extra, I had to start investing in coaching. You know, I'm part of a, a branding agency coaching group that I pay for monthly with a business coach in the branding space. And so that's been super helpful for me. And we share everything, business models, all that other stuff. And you're right. It's not in our space yet on the veteran side of the house. And when we, I have a connect for you on the cannabis as well. So this is how this works, y'all. People put their stuff out and you actually got to fucking engage, you know, yeah. help people, help other people win. And my man, Neil, I appreciate you, man. And you got some other stuff coming up. Do you want to plug it or are we going to bring you back on to talk about it later? You mean with Hourglass in particular? Yeah, with Hourglass. You know, we're changing the way you drink. And we'll talk about it a little bit more later. But, but if anybody's listening now, go to hourglass.bar and we are fundamentally changing the way you drink. and it's. It's super exciting, you know, like I'm, I'm over the world of, you know, feeling like I need to have a ritualistic bourbon at night. I'm tired of like opening, you know, bottle, bottles of wine each week, you know, and, and look, I, I don't believe that I have any, you know, uh, pronation to alcohol addiction or anything like that. I just think that society's made it so that it's like, you know, drink alcohol and that's how you, that's how you, that's what you do at night. So, you know, we've created a different type of thing. We're using cannabis as a way to provide a really, really interesting alternative to alcohol. And, and you know, while still helping people cope with that ritual of like, you know, still want something to sip on. So we Maybe can talk we'll bring about Neil back to Yeah, we'll bring Neil back to talk about it. I'm actually going to talk about it in my newsletter because 
I think I, in my mind, I think about switching costs, right? Yeah. People get used to a certain habit. How do you introduce a new yeah. habit? It's never as easy as people think it is. And I'm like you of, yeah, it's not like we're out boozing up in the middle of the day, but we're just right. like, is there a better way to like, cause we want to, we want to keep our fitness. You know, we want to feel good. Yeah. We don't want to have, there's gotta be a better way to hang out as an adult than like at the bar and like having cocktails. So I'm excited to, to do that. So Neil, I'll be sure to include a link to Plank in the show notes for all our listeners. Appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the Dog Whistle Brandon newsletter. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, either on the podcast or the newsletter, just shoot me an email at michaelwearironbound.com or message me directly on LinkedIn. Until next time, peace, love. Have a great rest of your week. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we blend strategy, storytelling, and podcasting to transform your brand into a dog whistle for your perfect customer. We believe that audio is the future of publishing, and we're committed to leading the movement. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. This series is powered by Mission Plus, a tech platform that helps nonprofit organizations upgrade their websites and leverage technology to deliver their services online. If your organization cares about its mission, then it needs to be built on Mission Plus. You can learn more by visiting missionplus.com.